So on this episode of the Fail Forward podcast, we get to speak with Tanya Martineau, an avid and experienced filmmaker, photographer, and storyteller. To me personally, she is someone that makes everybody she talks to a better person after meeting her by making them feel heard and seen. She has a myriad of different interests, but really what we focused on a lot is her travel, but also some of the cultural influences that have shaped who she has become as a person. And then we end off with some of her failures and kind of how taking a step backward has actually propelled her two to three steps forward. Yeah, what I liked about this conversation with Tanya today was she felt she had a chance to just be vulnerable and open up. And the conversation was bouncing between us. We had a chance to listen to each other's stories. And one thing that stood out for me was Tanya said, thank you for allowing this podcast to be a safe space to be able to talk and share our story and that was such a powerful thing for me this is important to us we want people to be able to tell their story and to know that tanya felt like that i could have listened to her all day and i know our listeners are going to absolutely love hearing from her so here we go welcome to the fail forward podcast where dan and adnan peel back the onion on our guest stories and on each other all in an effort to change the narrative of failure. Enjoy the show. I definitely feel like I want that connection with my family, especially um, I have four nieces. And so as they're getting older, there is this part of me that's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see them and squish their cheeks and give them all the affection that I can, right? Um, And I have one living parent. And so, yeah, there is this desire. I think... For me, I think it also goes back to the concept of home. And we talked about that, of like home not being a certain place or even a house. Um, but Adnan, you said, you know, it's where your feet are. And for me, home is the feeling. It, it is family, part of family, but it's a place of connection, a place where I feel like I belong. Um, and Minnesota, that's where I'm from, small town Minnesota, definitely I don't feel like fits me anymore right I think we all have traveled and so when you travel and go to new places and cultures it shapes you and changes you um, in the most beautiful ways and I think you grow and you adapt and um, you know that's the beauty of it and so me seeing myself in Minnesota doesn't fit anymore right it's like oh the shoe doesn't fit um, that's the Tanya that no longer exists. Now I can go back to my hometown and really appreciate, um, and love, uh, the environment that I was raised in. And there's such good memories. I think some people that go back to their hometown, there's a lot of dread. They kind of harp on it and say negative things, but I think I'm filled with gratitude, even though I know that's not where I'm supposed to be. Um, yeah, but I think, there's a way to pursue the connection and going to your roots, I feel like, without having to be in the location. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, Tanya, I know we just jumped right into it, but I'd be totally remiss if I didn't kind of introduce you to the listeners. Um, and I'm not going to talk about the accolades or the major accomplishments because I'm sure everybody can look that up. To, to me... Tanya represents someone that, and you said this perfectly, and I was like, yes. She's someone that makes anyone she talks to feel heard and feel understood. And 
at least ev with every interaction I've seen you be a part of with me or with anyone like in our groups, it's like you make people feel better off than they were before they met you. Mm. So, so that means a lot to me and that's what I want to share with the audience. But outside of that, you know, Tanya is an experienced filmmaker, photographer, world traveler, biker, boxer. Um, I don't know much about this, but you're into pottery as well, which I really want to learn about. Um, and probably countless other things and curious niches that you're interested in. Um, I want to ask you the, I want to have you introduce yourself in, in a way that I, we talked about a couple of days ago. Like, if you were to film a movie about yourself, you were the filmmaker, and you were filming a, a short, just as you do the stories that you've told all around the world, like what, what would it be? And how would it be different too than if someone else who was not you was filming you? Yeah, that's a great question. First off, thank you for those sweet words about me. That's very kind of you. Um, it's interesting being on the other side of the microphone. Usually I'm the one asking questions. So it's like, oh, this is a unique feeling. Um, I would say, yeah, I think most people when they look at my life or what they would want to focus on is probably my travels, right? All the different countries I've been to, the places I've lived, the people I've gotten to meet, the experiences, um, the adventure lifestyle, um, picking up and moving. But yet I think for me, the story that I would tell about myself is much more, um, yeah, personal, right? Of like getting to the heart of things. And that's what I do even in my storytelling, right? I lead with empathy. I'm an ethical storyteller and I want to connect um, to the heart of a person. And so I think it, I would tell a story about myself. It would be focusing on my family, my heritage, um, my Korean culture, um, my mom passed away 13 years ago. And so moving to Korea, that was part of my story, kind of finding and coming into, yeah, who I am and, and what my heritage means and even being raised in, um, small town Minnesota, right? To where it wasn't diverse. And my mom was one of the only Asians in, uh, that city and how that influenced her story, but how that influenced the way that she raised me. Um, and so, yeah, I think it would be a lot more along those lines and how, of course, that has influenced me to tell stories. It's influenced me on this journey of going abroad and, um, kind of falling into this career of humanitarian filmmaking. But I think I would go to the source of where that started and that would be, yeah, my mom and like her background. What a fantastic question, first of all, Adnan. Yeah. And what a great response. Yeah. Amazing question. And it that's a really deep thing to to start off with, yeah, to to tell the story of <laughs> how you would be the other side of the camera. I think that is absolutely amazing. And you said it so well, I think, um, Tanya as well. And t tell us a bit more about your mum, if you can. Um, yeah, she was born in Korea. 
and she was adopted. They don't really know at that time. It was after the Korean War. Uh, they say anywhere from two to five years old. Um, the story that they told her and that they told us was that she was thrown in a killing field to die when she was a baby. And the body surrounding her kept her alive. And a missionary came by, saw that she was alive, and put her in a Christian orphanage. Um, and then she was adopted. Now, later, this is, again, that's the story that was told to me all growing up. And that was a story that was told to her. Later, when I moved to Korea, I found out that that story, they would kind of say these very dramatic things about... Um, the orphans and where these children would go. We don't, I don't even know if that's true. Um, but even that, that kind of shares how they saw even those children back then. And, um, yeah, their value or lack of value. Um, but yeah, she was adopted in Fargo, North Dakota, um, into a family and, uh, it wasn't the best of living conditions. Her, Dad died of breast cancer when she was in sixth grade. Her mom was institutionalized for being um, clinically unwell. And so she was sent to her aunt. Um, and that home was, yeah, not the healthiest to where her mom um, did not value women, did not value girls. And so she wasn't allowed to touch anything in her room and basically was like a domestic servant in her home. Um, so it was a pretty rough upbringing. Um, and it took me so many years to be in the anti-trafficking movement and to work there to realize, oh, my mom was even kind of a victim of that, of domestic servitude in her home. Um, and so, which is crazy full story. That's kind of what I do and what I work in. Um, to be able to advocate for those that are in that field, that are doing great work, and obviously uh, for survivors as well. Um, so yeah, she married her high school sweetheart, my dad, um, and living in small town Minnesota. And then she passed away, uh, like I said, 13, 14 years ago um, of colon cancer. So yeah, it was 10 months of her fighting. Um, I was 20 at the time. So I was, yeah, I took off college, moved home to take care of her, take care of my 10 year old sister. Um, well, you know, trying to finish college as well. So yeah, she definitely embodied so much of the qualities that I hope that I encompass, <laughs> but yeah, of hard work, definitely even that immigrant story of just, yeah, fighting and not giving up um, to take care of her kids and her family and for us to have a different life than what she was raised in. Yeah. I don't I'm just digesting that. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. I mean, I can't even imagine because as, as I think through the experiences that your mom went through, there's, there's an element of going through some of those things as a child that it is so hard to take out of your like subconscious, right? The, the one might even say like abuse that you might've gone through mental and physical as a child. Yeah. And, and to ensure that you do not pass that 
same thing onto your children. Right. Right. What else? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, definitely. That's was her aim for sure. Knowing the amount of trauma. I mean, she endured so much abuse, um, growing up physical abuse. Her mom would beat her with a metal hose every day. Um, and clearly she wasn't all there in right. Going from one traumatic situation, moving from another country, from your home. And then all of a sudden in this other home to where it was so much trauma there. And, um, the funny thing is we didn't know any of this growing up. So my mom and dad had five kids. Um, and there was four of us that were four kids in five years. So we were all really close. And I remember the first time hearing her story was when I was 14, 15 years old. Um, just because she didn't want us to hear her story. Um, and again, it's that generation, right? I think there's that element of, um, you don't share your pain and you hide what happened in your life in order almost to pretend like it didn't happen or to ignore it. But I think, yeah, it just shows so much resiliency that my mom had and the strength and the fortitude, um, that she lived through and, how much she fought for us. My mom was an intimidating person. A lot of my friends uh, were very intimidated and scared by my mom just because she was a mama bear and she was fierce and she was loyal and protective and she would fight for us. Um, uh, she was that classic Korean tiger mom <laughs> in a lot of ways. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying relating this a little bit to kind of my parents as well, because mm-hmm. I really feel when you said that, the parent, your parents often want to maintain a strong front and to show that toughness to be tough for you. Um, was it, was it hard for her, for you to actually open up? Was that a, a pretty like important moment? Did it happen gradually? Like, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, I think growing up, right. (laughs) I remember in sixth grade, my mom was like, teach me a lesson on forgiveness, right? Something happened to where maybe one of my friends I was angry at and, or my siblings that I was frustrated, frustrated with. Um, and she sat me down and would tell a story about her upbringing, right? So there's like little snippets of like those teachable moments as a parent that she would do. And that's the story that she told about her mom beating her with a metal hose every day. Um, and every time that happened to her, she would say, I forgive you, mom. Every time that it would come down, I forgive you, mom. I forgive you, mom. Um, and she never felt it. Uh, she's like something was protecting her to where she never felt it. She didn't, she doesn't have any scars from it or didn't. Um, and so as like a sixth grader, I felt all these emotions of like sadness, A for my mom, anger at my grandmother who did that to her, but also the sense of like, oh, wow. Talking about like the best teachable moment, but like also I can't be angry at my sibling anymore (laughs) or my friend after she endured that. So yeah, I think there, there are moments, right. That it was like hard to hear and, and her story, but it also like gave so much understanding for how she lived for sure. Yeah. So talk us through what, come next for you then Tanya in terms of you've had some I think some some trauma maybe through 
some stories you've heard growing up or the way you used to look after your um your sibling did you say and and family to, to to then decide that you wanted to kind of go on the next chapter of your story if you like and experience new things uh you know with traveling what what made you make that decision where you wanted to kind of branch out and, and look to what was next and find yourself i guess or look to what you wanted to do next yeah I think that was part of my journey of moving to Korea, right? After she passed away, um, about six months later, that's when I decided to move and teach English. Um, and it was there. That's really when I came into, I think, my identity, A, grieving my mom, but also recognizing and, and starting the journey of, oh, this is where she came from. This is the Korean culture. Uh, that's where I got into more of the humanitarian photography and got opportunities to photograph in different children's homes or photograph um, for a safe home for girls that were trafficked into Korea. So, and I didn't go in originally to do any of that. It was just to go teach English, make some money, save, pay off student loans, um, and then come back to America. But I think, right, life has a funny way of putting you in the right places at the right time and opening opportunities. So, yeah, that's kind of how I live life. I feel like I just go where one door is open and then these new things come my way. And I'm like, oh, that feels like it fits well. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what began that journey is just going to Korea. It's strange, isn't it, where you're you're always connecting dots without realizing it. it's like a Steve's job Steve Jobs saying until you zoom out and then you see the bigger picture, you think, Ah, now it makes sense. The path you you'd taken well, it's everything's for a reason, I think. I always believe that. Right. And it's not until you, you stop and you reflect like, after. Mm, I'm curious about your life. In what ways have you seen the dots connect that in the moment you didn't see? there's oh there's quite a few and do you know even telling your story of um yeah when you talk about your parents and I kind of remember my upbringing and it's not something it's not something we talk about very often straight away I think I think that's you were talking about you know how we feel and and opening up and talking about how we feel I think generations before us found it incredibly hard and I think the narrative is slowly changing there is a stigma still attached to talking about your feelings yeah. um, whether you're male or female or a certain age um, it's still not recognized as a thing but having come back to my home country and I've seen old friends they're already opening up to me saying you know I've had a hard time and I'm, I'm quite open about talking about my mental health now I think that's such a it's such a positive thing um and I think, yeah, looking back at my parents and growing up, um, ex-REF, military, moved around a lot. Um, there's always a lot of discipline, I think. And I think that got passed down to me as a child as well. So, yeah, there were times where I was disciplined. and <laughs> But it changed, I think, with my kids where I almost felt I was like a shield to previous generations of the way people were brought up, the way we talk about their feelings. And, you know, it didn't happen as much years ago, I think, Um and I kind of feel a bit of empathy for my parents as well, that they weren't able to discuss their feelings. And, and like we are now, or I am now, I think. Um, so I, when I look at my own children, I've got two boys, seven and four. 
and I took on this responsibility as a full-time dad when I moved to Dubai and it's a very different scenario for me as I said before where I'm, I'm not working anymore and my my full-time job is caregiver for my boys and I, I think I've got a responsibility now to be able to raise them and that's almost like my new purpose was not focusing on the career and you know what I was to do next my purpose was on raising these boys and I don't know giving them a life that maybe I wanted them to have but I wanted to give them opportunities and you know feel things and take risks um, but just be like a guide for them as well and that's I think that was a very strange thing for me moving over here because it was it was difficult to start with you know you, you move into uh, you know big Arabic city um, it's very diverse it's different you know walking around a two-year-old or one and a half year old in a pushchair <laughs> you know being judged thinking that you're being judged so I had to figure out you know a lot of new things but um yeah I think it's when you zoom out like I said and you, you look back at your path and some of the choices we we had taken I'm a completely different person now than I was three or four years ago and I think when I look back I was probably struggling with my mental health I had um, an illness that I, I got um, through being stressed at work that I've managed to completely almost cure myself from. I've become fitter, um, yeah, quite open to talking about my feelings. And, and I think now I'm at a point, point where I'm giving back and I'm starting to, you know, like we do with this podcast, we get guests on and we, we you know, talk about things and it, it helps the listeners. And so, yeah, I think you, you kind of shift your mindset and um, and realize that yeah, it's, there's a new purpose and it's not until you, you zoom out and you realise that, yeah, we're on different paths and, and I don't know what's next as well from being here, how long we'll be in Dubai and but it's exciting. I think, yeah, being able to move abroad yeah. definitely broadens your mind and um, teaches you a lot for sure. And on your perspective, knowing that you grew up in Dubai and with your parents, what was that like for you? And did they share about their feelings? Do you feel like you had to kind of cross over into, yeah, kind of similar to Dan and I of, uh, yeah, being comfortable with that? Yeah. Um, so both my parents are, I mean, ethnically Indian. And with all the benefits that that culture brings, there's a few elements where, yes, you restrict information from from your kids in order to be those strong steadfast role models for your kids and i think i've i guess i've noticed almost like a a semi generalized difference without with of course a ton of exceptions but in the us your parents are almost more like your friends so you see their weaknesses you see their faults you see their openness with indian parents a little less so so it with at least and i will honestly uh, commend my younger brother for championing a lot of this where he was actually the one who said no i i want this family to be um, an environment where we can all be open honest and also vulnerable with each other um so it was a deliberate effort over the last maybe three or four years that every time we did go back to dubai and got to spend that quality time um with each other like we would share our worries and our anxieties and our concerns um, and that would help our parents, especially because we both me and my brother are here in the U.S., whereas but my parents are in Dubai. And it would help them better connect to some of the stuff we were managing by ourselves and handling on our own. Um, but it was, so, so to speak, under the condition that, hey, like, tell us about some of your anxieties. You know, like, where do you think you went wrong? What area, what, what, um, 
tendencies or patterns do you think you may be putting onto us unintentionally? It's okay that you are, but we want to know, right? Um, and because I think sometimes parents will justify a certain things they did, they're doing as right or as correct, because as a parent, it's it's just it doesn't go to say that hey, I could be doing something wrong. That's hard to admit. And obviously, Dan, I, I say that it's not being a parent, so I also want your input on that sometimes because I think it takes a lot of strength and an effort as a parent to be able to say that, like, I don't know the answer to a child or to your own, your, your, your kid. Yeah, all, all to say that, yeah, it was, it was an active effort to, like, cultivate. Um, not that our family by any means was not open and honest, but it's like we, we wanted to strive to get to the best version of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've spoken about this with previous guests as well. It's it's all part of a journey. Like, there's no instructions to being a parent. You don't know how to raise your kids. You go on, I think previously how you raise yourself, and then you figure things out as you go. But I think the one thing I learned was patience. I was very quick to react, and I had a short fuse. Whilst living back in the UK, I had a quite. It was a busy job, I guess, um, and I was traveling a lot, so. The patience I had with the kids was very small and it was the the smallest things that would, would kind of set me off and I didn't want to hear them, you know, if they if they were arguing, I, I didn't want to hear what they had to say. Whereas I think now I've got time. I've got time to listen. And I think that, that new skill of being able to listen to the kids so simple. It just goes a lot further now. So, you know, I, I like to listen to their feelings and let them explain whether I agree with them or not. It doesn't matter. I just have to, you know, just be silent and just say, you know, explain how you're feeling. Tell me what's happened. And, um, yeah, just, just be able to listen. I, you can do the same, you know, in adulthood as well. I guess with friends, um, yeah, a skill where you can just be patient, um, try and talk less, which I'm learning more, and listen more. But there's there's no there's no right or wrong. I think it's everyone's different, you know, how you raise your children. Um just figure it out <laughs> i don't know it's, it's hard it's hard work but it's yeah it's all part of the journey i think it's, it's exciting and uh we, we spoke to a guest recently um, where he said i think no sorry there's another guest that said it's small children small problems and then bigger children it's bigger problems and you're just learning new things as you go as well it never changes it just yeah different size problems i guess i i want to talk tanya about that year that we spoke about where you actually took a little bit of a step back from filmmaking. Um, I know we spoke a little bit about what drove that, but I, I'd love to kind of delve a little deeper into um, the challenges you faced, the response to it, but then also how you were able to get back to that thing that kept pulling you towards it. Yeah, no. Um yeah, so I took a year off of traveling. Well, let's let me back up. So I co-founded a nonprofit called Unseen. So Unseen is a media and marketing nonprofit and you say content strategy, fundraising strategists for nonprofits fighting human trafficking around the world and domestically. Um, so co-founded that with yeah, my friend, his wife. And did that for three years, creating policies, board of directors, staff, interns, all of it. 
um, and would lead, te- lead teams of artists overseas to tell stories of these nonprofits fighting trafficking. Um, and it's so interesting during my time there, I was very much telling even my team, my staff, like, Hey, it's not about what we do. It's about who we are. None of this matters if we're not healthy, if we don't recognize, um, our worth and knowing that it doesn't matter if we save so many women. And I don't even like to use that word, but in my mindset back then, that's what I was thinking, right? Um, it matters like the health of us. And so it's interesting though, because even saying that I was actually, I feel like crumbling on the inside and I was so burnt out, um, burning candles on both ends, not really knowing how to navigate the stress of running a nonprofit, traveling so much, didn't know the leadership level that I needed, or I should say the tools in my belt to be able to lead um, and delegate um, and really set healthy boundaries. Um, And so just felt like I needed to step down and kind of move on um, and reestablishing kind of internally some practices and some values in me. Um, so left on really great terms. I'm still friends with a co-founder. I work with them quite often. I'm like an ambassador, send them different nonprofits, have worked with them on projects since then. But yeah, just felt, um, in my heart and I'm have a deep faith. And so could just feel that pull. Right. And it was interesting because I was praying about, okay, what does this next year look like? Cause I was in the, in the midst of, you know, running and sprinting hard, um, with a nonprofit, we grew really quickly, um, speaking at conferences and magazines, all of that. And as I was praying, I could sense like, okay, if I want to take unseen to the next level, and if I want to go to the next level, I could, I could feel this. And I heard this, like, you need to step down. Um, and at first I was like, what? No, I misheard. That's not right. Um, but as the weeks went on, I really felt that like if I wanted to grow internally and grow in my next stage and if unseen wanted to grow, it wasn't for me to do. Um, and that's really where I just listened to that. And it was the hardest thing. I was like, wait, this is, this is my baby. This is like my vision, but recognizing it's, it's not, it was never mine to begin with. Um, it's, we're all replaceable, right? And so that's where I really trusted the process, um, in that stripping and that pruning. It felt like a, a deep season of pruning. Um, and that's when I moved to Colorado, um, and just worked at a chocolate fondue restaurant, <laughs> which was amazing for the chocolate. Um, but yeah, just got played in the mountains and really, was able to take a deep breath, um, and be, yeah, and not, I'm saying the word wrong, anonymous. There we go. Anonymous. Um, and kind of sit back and not be running so fast. Um, and that's really when I put a a boundary of, okay, I'm not going to travel for a year. Um, and this was after me traveling all the time. Right. And so I'm going to put a boundary on the U S border and not step outside of that. And I had opportunity to travel, uh, but just really felt committed to that process and yeah, restructuring and reprioritizing, um, what I believed, what my values were, 
um, and not having what I did takes such a hold on me. Um, I think it's easy to say in the moment of your quote unquote success, right? And then when you're at the top of like, oh yeah, it's not, it's not who I am. Um, but when you have all that removed, it's like, do you really believe that? Um, and that's what it was for me of like that shaking, um, and that pruning, um, someone like a stranger told me during that season, they're like, oh no, you feel like your, your wings are being clipped, but they're actually expanding. Um, and on the outside, it looks like they're being clipped and like you're going backwards, but you're really being propelled forward. I think that's a lot, right? In business and relationship and success, I think you're always kind of going through that cycle of, okay, what things need to be pruned? What, what seasons do I need to, to go through? Um, and how can I see this as a way of growth versus a way of a failure? Right. Um, and that's really what catapulted me into my next season, which was working for that international film production company to where I traveled a one year, 150 days and went all over the world. Um, and that was after my one year mark to the date I got asked to join that company. Um, and it was interesting because when I got offered the job, I wasn't looking for it either. Um, I, there was a part of me that was like, do I want this? I don't know if I do. Actually, I might say no. Whereas everyone else would be like, this is a dream job. You're like working for this international company. They're sending you all over the world to tell these stories of these remote places. But I think that's what that year did to where it was like, oh, this doesn't have a grip on me anymore. Um, to where I got to enter into that new season to where I wasn't um, enamored by the lights. I wasn't enamored or romanticizing the travel, whereas most people do. And and you all know, right? Travel is romanticized, but there's two sides to the coin. And uh, it can be lonely. It can be tiring, exhausting. You miss birthdays. You miss a lot of things. Um, but yeah, that was a very long-winded answer. <laughs> very long. <laughs> what? What, what I noticed that, I guess I didn't notice the first time around was it seems like on, on the front end of this career of yours, you essentially felt a need to like grab at every opportunity to, to, that came at you to not lose it. Whereas on the tail end, you're like, no, I choose the opportunity. It doesn't choose me. Ooh, that's good. Snaps all around for that. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's such a, just a level of, relief and freedom i can imagine to say that like hey i took a step back and st stuff still ended up coming towards me and and growth is still on my path that doesn't mean that i need to i'm saying this because there are times where i also fear not grabbing at every opportunity will mean that i i'm gonna ultimately lose but you need to go through like a time where you forcefully take yourself quote unquote backwards to realize that it's not really as big a deal as i made it seem Absolutely. And then I feel like you have more clarity and you're able to make decisions better. You're able to see, okay, does this fit? Does this align with what I'm actually going after in life? Um, and yeah, like you said, it's like, I am a believer that the right opportunities will come to you. And there'll be other opportunities that aren't right 
but you're able to like cipher through that to be like, no to, no to this doesn't mean it's going to be no to everything or no to new things that come your way. Um, so yeah, I just, it's like when you put your foot forward, things are going to happen, right? And there's going to be movement and there's going to be momentum and we're in control over our life, right? We aren't going to be like thrown to the left or to the right, um, by whatever comes our way. But I just, yeah, I've learned that like, nope, I can say no to this and still things are going to happen. That was so relatable like a hundred percent to me listening then i was just smiling all the way through going oh my life almost like we're living in parallel universes together on the same sort of path because everything you spoke about i was just like oh my god that's exactly the same as me i love the fact that you said when you moved to colorado and you just had that playful element everything was stripped back how did you feel at that time because you at this time you you've got to have two things one is you've got to believe in yourself like you say and just trust the process but when you're living in that moment and you do you know you're working in the fondue shop and you're just you know you're taking it a bit of time out and you're just having fun and things it almost feels like the wrong thing to do but that's when you're actually living your life and probably where you, you're, you're at your happiest, because I know I was when I was in that situation. But how did you feel when you were back in that moment? Yeah, I think exactly what you're saying. I think there is an element of I had to grieve slightly of ending this dream um, or what I thought was mine to hold. But then there is like, almost what you said Adnan before, it's like whatever you focus on, right? Wherever your focus is, that is even what will come to you, even your gratitude. If you're thankful and seeing all the positives, like your outlook is completely different. And so I think people's perspective was definitely like, why are you doing this? Like, this doesn't feel like a good move. You're at the very beginning of this crazy journey and it's going so well, right? You're at the pinnacle. So why would you leave? Why would you leave at the top? And there was this question, but like you said, Dan, it's like when you trust the process and when you truly believe in yourself, knowing that you're making the right decisions and you're turning down all the noise of other people's opinions and voices, it's like, oh, there's something in you that's like, yep, this was meant to be this is like where I'm supposed to be at. And there is this like newfound joy and this new excitement. It's like, it's almost like a clean canvas, right? You have this blank canvas and you have the ability to be like, wow, I can dream up now something completely new that I didn't have before. And so, yeah, that, and I love the element of play. You're right. Like, I think the element of play is where, ideas and dreams happen. So yeah, I like that you experienced that as well. I'm curious, like for you, Dan, um, what, what resonated so deeply to you in terms of, yeah, your story. It goes back again. It's like, for me, it, it's something that shapes your future. And I think it becomes a defining moment when you think, I too had given up a career. I was winning awards, huge 
biggest company in the world I used to work with. They used to employ the most people in the world, Compass Group, big catering group. And I was a general manager and I was, I was getting awards for big projects just before moving out to Dubai. So I, I felt like I was, I was here and I was going up here. And then I stepped away from it all and I was looking after my son. I was volunteering in schools and I was just had that playful element where I just had to put everything behind me and learn everything I knew. I was listening to podcasts. I was reshaping my mindset and I woke up grateful every single day. I would start off with gratitude. I'd walk the dog and I'd be thankful for everything I had. Um, and the I think the one thing that I... I learned, and this is from my parents, I think, as well. They're very giving people, um, both Christian. My dad went on a lot of missionaries all around the world. He was he would give everything to anyone. And my mum was like the kind, is the kindest person I know as well. So there's two things I've got from them, I think, attributes. So I decided to just give my time. I would talk to people a lot, people within the community, because um, I had time to offer. And any any money I had, I would give away as well. And it was very little. Um, I was childminding. I was, you know, volunteering in school. So I didn't earn the money I used to, but I had this new found, I don't know, energy, or I don't know what it was. It was just this, whether it's a calling, I don't know, but I just found that I had more time than I've ever had. And I was just giving back. I think I realized that I was seeking outwards and I was just wanting to help people. Um, and it, that, that was like a defining moment for me. It was just to slow down, have fun, and then just give back. And that completely, I think, changed the trajectory of, you know, where I've moved on from then. So, yeah, defining moment, definitely. But very good feelings. It's nice to look back that. on. And I think, yeah, if you get, like we've said before and again and again, it's if you get that feeling, you don't know if it's the right path. You don't know if what you're doing is right. But if you just trust in yourself and you just think no i'm gonna just block out the noise and just keep doing what i'm doing because i'm helping people and i'm a big believer the more you give the more you 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 receive as well you know whatever that might be in life and just keep moving forward keep doing the right thing and opportunities just was just falling at my feet as well I i can't even explain some of the things that happened to me um you know landing my dream job biggest event you know ever in the world the the expo in dubai I had opportunities that come after, um, a bit like you, I think, where I could have gone on to my next dream job with FIFA, going to the World Cup, big offer, and I just was completely flat, wasn't interested. It's strange. I had this kind of big offer on the table, and I was like, "Mm, no, I'm just not feeling it. I think I've got other things I need to do, and yeah, some impact to to kind of create. So, yeah, that's my long-winded answer. I love it. Let, let's not forget the fact that you, Dan and I met in the most unconventional of ways too. I, I literally, I went, um, I was on Instagram. I was going to Dubai. This was um, in December when we were prepping for the marathon. I was like, I'm going to be in Dubai for a month. I need someone to run with. Who would be cool to run with? So I literally went on Instagram and I just searched hashtag running and looked uh, running Dubai and I looked for anyone who was running in Dubai. <laughs> I'm the only one crazy. And I just messaged like five or six people, of which one of them was Mr. Du- at Dubai Running Dad. <gasps> no way. And I was like, hey, you want to do a long run? Dude was like, yeah, definitely. Doesn't ever end up running with me. But then he follows up like in January when I'm back and we connect. 
Um, and we talk a lot about the idea for a podcast. Um, but then also kind of what we're doing in a, with Arc, but also Dan running his own like run club in Dubai. Oh, wow. So, so we kind of have this shared vision of, of creating some sort of um, larger form of a running community slash running business in the Dubai space because it doesn't have one. Sure. Um, I love that. That's a wild story on how you guys connected. It was a lot of yeah. energy on the call when we decided we'd just have a chat. And, you know, we're often networking, we're speaking to people and Adnan pops up and I was like, let's just have this talk and let's see where it goes. And then by the end of it, we're like, right, let's start a business. Let's start this. Let's do this. And then <laughs> the time he come over, it was like a million miles an hour, just just getting things done. So, yeah, it was a, it was a good call. Um, and here we are you know our 12th episode of this podcast where we're trying to give back and just share stories and and continuing with your story i've noticed about you tanya as well you're very interested in other people that's a very that's a big leadership quality you've got as well you have got this kind of aura about you where you're very good at listening but you're very interested in other people and where did that come from is that something you've learned or is that just something you've always had I think I've always been curious. Yeah, curious about people. And maybe it's from living in such a small town. I mean, I grew up in a town that was 1,300 people. So, like, very small, right? And it was, yeah, very much the same. And so I think once I branched out of that and once I lived in Peru, that was the first country I lived in, it was just this, like, it sparked something. It sparked a hunger in me to learn about people and to learn about cultures and seeing how people live differently than how I lived in small town. Um, and so I just think it created that appetite to where I was like, wow, the world is so big, right? It's so much bigger than how I was raised and my upbringing. And I just want to learn about people because I think yeah, the more you hear people's stories, the more you learn where they come from, you're changed by it and it challenges and grows you and inspires you. And so, I don't know, I think it it stemmed from that. But I think as I've continued in this career of telling people's stories, I think, yeah, it's this like shared, it's a shared connection, this shared sense of honor even and respect and sharing dignity of like you're seeing me I'm seeing you um and there's nothing like being almost what I said to Adnan being seen and understood and known so I know how I feel when I'm when I feel that way by someone and I want to give someone else that gift as well yeah and I think as I've traveled overseas and have gone to some really um, harsh conditions and working with people that are running from genocide in their country in refugee camps or um, traffic survivors, right? I have seen the power of what telling your story can do. Um, 
And I think, yeah, I've seen so much power given back to them once their story is told and once it's received from someone that really treasures it and is empathetic um, and sees them first and foremost as a person. Um, so yeah, I've seen the healing that can come from it. I want to, I want to end on a last question, Tanya. Um, it's, it's somewhat dark, but I think it has a positive to it. What, what would you want written on your gravestone? Oh, that is dark. Um, I think I would want people to know that I loved well. Yeah. Just simple. Like, and however people want to perceive that or interpret that, because I think love can come in so many different forms and ways. Um, but I think that would be my hope. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Keep it open-ended too. <laughs> yeah. I love that too. And I also love the silence after these questions because I am taking in so much that it's almost like after every conversation we've had, and it's just a moment of just taking it in um, and just reflecting. And it's quite, it's quite a nice, yeah, even just what you said then. I'm just there just working out thinking there's so much meaning behind that. I loved well. It's epic. Tanya, thank you so much. Yeah. I remember us sitting, grabbing ice cream and, and asking, asking you to do this like, what, four days ago? <laughs> right. Couldn't have imagined this going even better than it has. So I really, yeah. really, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate you joining us and, and sharing you know, a story that I'm sure is, is, uh, can be hard to tell. Mm. Well, I appreciate you guys being so open and receiving the story so well and being very thoughtful and genuine. Um, yeah, it's very easy to talk to you both. Um, very easy. I feel comfortable and I don't think I would have shared it if I didn't feel like it was in a safe space. So thank you for creating such a warm and welcoming um, and safe place to be vulnerable. That means a lot. That really, really we means appreciate a lot. That. And I really appreciate that. And I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you, Tanya. Next time you get ice cream of Adnan, can you please call me? Because I want to be in on that as well. And I'll, <laughs> I'll get some ice cream from my fridge or freezer. And I'll join you. Yes, and we'll carry on absolutely. talking more. We'll get you a third cup of soft serve. Please do. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Epic. Thank right. you again. Thanks for listening. Leave us a review. Tell us what you think. Find us at Instagram bailforward.pod if you know someone that wants to be on the show or if you want to be on the show give us a shout DM us and we'll see you soon